Welcome to Q&A, the podcast series of conversations recorded with artists in the Cadditch and Morrissey Galleries at St. Ambrose University. In January of 2016, Chris Mortensen showed a group of photographs from a series titled, And in the Movement of the Sun, I Felt Something. These photographs are about the places we visit and how we navigate between visual images and written language. Chris Mortensen is Assistant Professor of Photography at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. Today we are with Chris Mortensen, who has a show in the Morrissey Gallery this month called... Yeah, it's uh, And in the Movement of the Sun, I Felt Something. Uh, the, the work is, is photographic based and text. There's an important text element. So uh, the, the project is a, I guess, a look at understanding the way that our minds visualize photographs when we're hearing about them or reading about them and their descriptions. So I was thinking of, of different ways that I personally relate to the landscape. I, uh, I'm a, I really like being outside and I've worked for a long time in the outdoor industry. So I, I currently work very, it's very part-time, but I currently work at uh, Active Endeavors in Iowa City and worked at a similar uh, climbing and backpacking shop in South Dakota when I lived there. I'm really sort of obsessed with talking to people. I think that's why I still do the work. Uh, also the discounts, but... Um, <laughs> uh, I like talking to people and hear about, hearing about where they're going to go, where they've been. That's really what's kept me there for such a long time while I'm also you know, teaching at uh, Kirkwood Community College, also at Augustana College over in Rock Island. And Part of that is because I, I enjoy listening to those stories and uh, thinking about the places they go. And I always like visualize where they are or where they're going. Uh, and so I thought, well, why not just make the pictures uh, for them or for myself or for anybody else to look at? That's wild. So you then invited people to write these out. Right. They write out a picture that they have or a, a place that they've been? Uh, it can be either. So, okay. yeah, I put a call out on Facebook and then I also sent out emails to people in my contact list and just asked if they wanted to be part of a, a very loose collaboration where I was looking for descriptions of landscapes that were important to them in some way. So then they could work from a photograph or from their own memory. And I wanted like very clinical descriptions, organizing the photograph, thinking that most people would probably reference a photograph mm -hmm. and describe the way that it is that it's organized with no no names or geographical locations because I didn't want to be I didn't want to be keyed into a place when I was making it. So I know, you know, I've traveled pretty extensively out west, a little bit out east, but out west, I mean if they say a place, I'm probably gonna know what it looks like and I didn't want to have a predetermined look to the place I want to go purely off of off of the words. There's so many different interesting questions that come out of these pieces having to do with experiential like philosophy, philosophy of being experience and I, I, I guess I'm wondering you know how much philosophy or questions of authenticity come into these pieces. If you, was, is there any grounding in that for you? I mean, I'm thinking of like anything from Plato's cave, the idea of being, you know, manipulated by 
someone above giving you images and that's what you know about the world to things like hyper reality and especially because you use google imagery to create them so the virtual reality you know how much are any of those uh things coming into this consciously or unconsciously maybe i think maybe more unconsciously uh-huh. or maybe on the back end because i it was very it was very much a process of reaction for me in the beginning I wanted it to be similar to sitting and talking to somebody mm-hmm. and listening to the way they were they would describe something and then making it. And mm-hmm. so a lot of those ideas I think were sort of present in the work, but I tried to avoid them at first, uh mostly because I I thought it might direct it in a way that I wasn't. I wanted sure. to re- be really really open, like as open as I could be yeah. with yeah. making this stuff. Well, you know, some of them sort of suggest it more than others. And it's a spectrum from images that look very clearly manipulated to mm-hmm. images that are very subtly manipulated. I'm thinking of the floating island image, the rock with the trees in oh, the yeah. bay. Yeah. You know, I think, wow, that is just, that's a realm that, I, I mean, I'm sure it does exist in some form somewhere, but it just seems really fantastic, you know, hyper-real. I don't know, just the feeling you get from being in these images, being in these spaces, is um, just a little bit off-kilter in a digital way that leaves you a little bit ill at ease, you know? And, sure. And it's interesting to hear you talk about them as more dialogue-driven and maybe more tame is not the right word, but uh, optimistic or, you know, you're, you're really trying to imagine these spaces. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting, it's, it's a really interesting exercise for me because... The way that I go about it is I'll, you know, I get the descriptions and I'll read them and I'll like underline or circle certain pieces of it and then go onto Google Images or Bing Images or whatever and try to find Mm -hmm. things that fit that and put it together. And usually when I get the first piece, it's there. Like I already kind of know what it's going to be. There are limitations, obviously, uh, to it because I want, I wanted them to be displayed as prints on a wall mm-hmm. and for that you need a certain size mm-hmm. um, so that cuts out a vast majority of source material online but luckily there's enough people that don't know what they're doing with uploading photographs <laughs> online that they upload gigantic images uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and at least enough to make like 16 by 20 inch fine prints and uh-huh. You know, the sort of, like, wonkiness of some of them, I think, is uh, is indicative of past work that I've done uh, in the way that I've been doing, like, manipulated stuff and appropriated stuff for, uh, for a long time. Yeah. And the first critique, one of the first critiques that I had of the, of the work... This particular project? Not this particular, earlier, like, earlier way, way, way ago that, that people uh, that would be there this evening will find out about. Uh, was that they? It was getting hard to tell that they were manipulated, mm. or where the manipulations were, even though the spaces are weird. Mm. So I started making a conscious effort to give a tell mm. in the image at some point. Uh, I'm not interested in tricking. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's not true. I'm a little bit, <laughs> uh, but not fully. Like I don't want anybody to look at these and then feel like they're being played. Mm-hmm. They should be sort of lighthearted and kind of humorous. Mm-hmm. Um, in an attempt to like maybe challenge traditional landscape photography, uh, but not in like a in, a, in an aggressive manner at all. Mm-hmm. So, 
So you wouldn't want them to come to them and be, well, there's two, two experiences that would be negative. One would be, these are beautiful landscapes. I can't wait to go see in the sort of National Geographic vein. Like, this is a beautiful, slick, produced landscape. You wouldn't want that, but you also wouldn't want them to come to the thing and feel like they're being, um, you know, they're the cynical. This is cynical right. space. Yeah, yeah and, and I think both of those reactions have happened. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily with this stuff, um, but with past past work. So I, I also did this a sort of similar project to this with postcards. Mm-hmm. Wild, wild wildness is that what we're talking about well yeah so wild wildness is like my umbrella term for, oh, all for this, everything for all this kind of work um, oh okay that that was uh, very uh, keenly named the postcard series I see and it you know I had that work up uh, I did that work in a lo- not all of it but a lot of it in graduate school and I had some of it up as just photographs not as postcards and uh, another a, a colleague of ours, actually Isaac Sullivan, mm-hmm. took his class mm-hmm. in there, and a student said, "You know, like, oh, this is my favorite show that I've ever seen." And he was like, "Well, you understand what's happening, right?" And she goes, "Yeah, he went to all these beautiful places and took these <laughs> photographs." <laughs> and he said, "No, uh, he made these, uh-huh. you know, in traditional Isaac Sullivan fashion. Yeah, he said yeah. these are pastiched." And uh, she said, her response was like, "I hate him." <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty uh, that's like pretty awesome actually. yeah uh, and so it's at that point I wanted to I, didn't, I don't want anybody to like feel angry like I'm trying to pull the wool over that so some of them are a little more ridiculous but it also relates to the idea of truth in photography mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in that you know exactly. that's a, something that even with today's technology and the I guess ever present eye of the internet you have uh, people calling that stuff out more, but I think the general public still believes when they look at a photograph, they believe that it's a place. It's the natural go-to, yeah. And so at what point do you, those things start to fall apart? And what happens when they fall apart? Do they start to challenge every landscape photograph they've seen? Do they start to challenge every photograph they've mm-hmm. seen? Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not putting that on this work at all or on myself because that's a heavy load. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, those are things that, maybe people can start to to get at or think about with this stuff. And if they don't, like, that's fine, too. If they just come and look at them and think they're pretty pictures, I'm kind of into that, too. Yeah. I'm all right with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially because of what you say about this sort of artist's desire to recreate this yeah. space. You know, So it's okay if they're happy to be in this space because that's what you're trying for. Whereas I feel like those earlier ones were maybe a bit more critiquing, critiquing visual culture, critiquing, yeah. Definitely. yeah. So I like to pursue kind of both those paths. Um, first, maybe the conversational aspect of these, and that now I'm not a philosopher, but I remember in college I wrote a term paper, you know, mm-hmm. on this guy Jacques Lacan, and this notion of conversation and language and yeah. the gaps between one person and the other when they have a conversation. You know, so we have these words that we all learn, but... You and I don't have the same experiences, so there's always going to be a gap in what you tell me, right? And I can't help but think about that guy when I look at these photos. There's so many gaps between John Engelbrecht's memory and experience of the image or place that he was at, and then your recreation of the thing. So, you know, these images in some ways aren't even about the image that you've made, but they're about the space on the wall between the image and the text block, you know, like right. where, where is that shared experience, you know? And uh, I wonder if um, you've had 
the original writers look at the photos and what their reactions are. Yeah, yeah, I do, and I think yeah, that's a, that's a perfect way to describe it. I mean, there's like a, this visual gap of mm-hmm. of reality, and then the, the scenes that I'm made. And like for me, most of these are real to me. Like I would probably I would go to these places and yeah. probably be disappointed that they're not the photographs <laughs> that I made. Although I do, I will say that I I have uh, randomly passed John Engelbrecht's. Mm. I made it, and then I was I was driving back from Colorado, and, like and you I was, saw it, and I saw it, and instantly his description <laughs> popped into my head, and I thought, "Holy!" Uh, and then he sent me the photograph, and it, it was that. So, mm. could you describe how different it is? Yeah, it's a lot different. Is it really? I mean, he has a really good description of it, but mm-hmm. uh, so essentially, it's a it's a route, it's a road sign for food, like a restaurant that's defunct in Colorado, coming back from Denver, and it's. You know, the one that I have is a single pole that goes up and breaks apart, and then there are four mm-hmm. uh, four boxes that have the images, whereas his is more, it's two poles that come up, mm-hmm. and then they angle in sort of a, a trapezoidal fashion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the words are within that. And it's it's black, it's right next to the highway, which is right next to, you know, it's in between the highway and the restaurant mm-hmm. that's totally dilapidated. And this is, like, yeah. very spacious. And, <laughs> it's out there, um, almost isolated. Yeah. yeah, it's like you have no idea knowing where that is. And, and part of that, that was actually an important point for me in the work because yeah. uh, even though I may have been thinking it, I was it was confirmed for me that I didn't need to be completely truthful in my representations mm-hmm. of these places because my own mind or anybody's mind thinking about things wouldn't be truthful. And if I were exactly. to go photograph these places, I might be there under different conditions, different times of day. So that it really like opened up yeah. the idea that I could um, use the descriptions as a reference and then uh, pretty much build whatever I want, as yeah. long as you could somewhat structurally relate it back to yeah. the original description. Uh, it's just crazy. I, lo- I, lo- I love hearing that because... Uh, I mean, it really does illustrate what I think Lacan was talking about. Although I had my philosophy professor said, uh, when I asked him about Lacan, he said, I read Lacan, I don't, I don't understand a thing about it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I think he was making the joke that he read it, he read the words, they are pre- super precise, sure. his meaning is laid out, but he can't understand what Lacan is saying. And no matter, some of these descriptions are, could be, you know, three, four, five hundred, six hundred words long, clinical detail, mm-hmm. but you're going to take them in a completely different direction. So, I mean, it really gets at how much we're talking to one another all day long and we're, we're projecting meaning back and forth through body language and, and verbal language and written language, and none of us really totally ever yeah. get to that place. We, we can't actually understand what another is going through. I think that's kind of a really beautiful uh, poetic uh, aspect of these. And it even ha- it even happens with the descriptions themselves. I mean, they're descriptions that I I can't even attempt. Yeah, they're too. You weird, know, it's like I think of them, and it's just like they're so precise that I don't know. It's not impossible to build them, but at least right now, and the stuff that's available mm-hmm. on on like Google Images is like it just it can't jive. And so, in some ways, it's like reading a foreign language mm-hmm. and picking up a couple things uh-huh, uh-huh. and then the rest of it, you know, like, I mean, there's some that I've sat at for an entire night just looking at it, just getting, you know, <laughs> usually getting frustrated and slamming my laptop down and grabbing a beer, but, uh, so yeah, in that sense, it's interesting too, you know, like yeah. the, the pieces do it, but 
sometimes all I need is the words to like have have that reaction, which obviously the viewer can't see, but mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of it's nice personally. It, yeah, some of the words are incredibly descriptive and evocative, and you just instantly kind of feel what they're going for. Huh? Like uh, the Mary Lobby one. Mm, that dark, the darker image there. You know, hers is very simple, yeah. and then it ends with that it reminds her of the midnight blue crayon. Like, it was at that point I knew I knew I knew the mountain I was gonna get. I knew the sky that I was gonna get, and I didn't even need to look for things. I mean, that one. Uh, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I, that probably took me five minutes. I mean, some of these took hours and hours. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and but that one was I was so keyed into what she and I could like feel what she wrote and yeah. and you know where she was and the type of even though I didn't know the specific place, but I knew the emotion. I lived that that exact sense of being in the mountains with the rain and the sun coming up and yeah. the change into blue sky. Oh, that yeah. it was just an immediate it was an immediate reaction for me. Well I think what would be really bizarre is if one of them came back to you and said that's perfect. That was exactly it. <laughs> Has anything like that happened or um, no usually the you know like the the one you were talking about before is is a, a reference to Haystack Rock in on the coast of Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I think Sam sent back to me, like, that's an interesting take on Haystack Rock. The, uh, the one in front of us here by Nancy Kirstein, which is I sort of, my pet project is it's the uh, Jimmy Buffett print. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> I, I think the place looks nothing like. Yeah. She's like, I really like this, but it doesn't look anything like <laughs> what I was describing. <laughs> I, but I think she was describing it from a sailboat, mm. which is also a tough, you know, and that's yeah, one thing where, like, I have that idea of, like, well, I might come to this place but not be on a sailboat. You know, or, like, yeah, so you have a little bit of leeway there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to go back to the other, the other avenue that I want to pursue, I think it has to do with you are working at the um, outdoor shop, outdoors yeah. person, the equipment shop, and this notion of our Americanness when it comes to travel and mm -hmm. REI and all these, uh, the gear of it and the, the commercial side of it and the touristy side of it, you know, uh, I'd like to hear more about you delving into that because you, you have the, the same flip of being an out, outdoor, you love to be outdoors and, and travel, but you, I think you're also saying that you see how it's kind of the tourist trap aspect and it's very commercialized. Yeah, our, our experiences there are very commercialized. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything is sort of mediated for us, right? We're right. told what to, where to go, what to look at, what to experience, sort of how we should do it. Yeah. Um, you know, and that falls into post World War II, like euphoria and uh, the idea that the, the road trip, which came out of, of that sense and. That's a wholly American thing, mm -hmm. and that maybe other parts of the world have have learned to to do and to maybe co-op a little bit. But like yeah. the the idea of the road trip is is definitely an American invention, and we're so tied psychologically as a culture to that idea. Even if we've never taken a road trip, or you don't know, I mean, just culturally, that's what it's a big part of this country and seeing the world that way. Yeah. So a lot of my work is about that. I had to come to that from other points. So when I started, you know, realizing that I wanted to be an artist and a photographer, uh, which was pretty much an undergrad, uh, before I went there, but by the time I got there, I, I sort of knew what I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. I was making photographs that were similar to photographs of like 
modernist landscape mm-hmm. photographers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, like Ansel Adams, okay. Edward Weston. Yeah. The, for the record, they were nothing like those. <laughs> it wasn't technically that good. Your model, but you're yeah. Were yeah, I was working towards those. Mm-hmm. And I was never that happy with them. And uh, they fell flat, so I stopped working with landscape for a while. And I came back to work with it and decided that I needed to understand exactly what it was that I was interested in. And I sort of loathed tourism. I grew up in South Dakota. There's tons of tourism there. I mean, that's like the largest economy of the state by a long ways. For hiking, camping? Well, yeah, the Black Hills are in South Dakota, and so like Mount Rushmore, and then the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, and so, you know, we're an agriculture state, but we're a tourism state first, and we get a lot more money from that. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, in high school, it's like an angsty teenager. I would talk about how places like Waldrug were terrible, and you know, go out to the Black Hills. Like, who wants to? You see Rushmore? You can just drive by it. You've seen it already. Uh, but I realized that I actually sort of loved those things, and I started to understand that. You know, as like a kid, I really wanted to buy. I wanted my parents to buy me the, the like bow and arrow set that was all over at every store. It's like a yellow bow and red arrows with suction cups, and like a fake plastic knife. And I like I really yearned for that thing, and they would never do it. And then when I, so when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, there's an importance in those places into experiencing and understanding the landscapes that we visit in this country. Mm. And so I worked towards trying to understand my own connection with it and my sort of reluctant love of those places. You know, like I kind of yeah. eat at stopping yeah, at those. Sure, up. sure, yeah. So like Wall Drug, uh, I forced, I just went there again this summer. And I forced two friends that are from South Dakota to stop there. And I think they were, they were sort of humoring me. I was like, isn't this awesome? <laughs> it's great. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm not really into maybe the commodity part of it in, as far as purchasing, mm-hmm. but I like watching. Mm-hmm. And I like watching what people buy. You know, so like there was this woman that was super excited about a, a weird trinket of stained glass mm-hmm. that said like Badlands, South Dakota on it. And that's going to be a part of her connection to the landscape of the Badlands for the rest of her life or yeah. until she throws that thing away and forgets about it. Yeah, yeah. And so I think those are just as important as, you know, experiences where we get away from society and go backpacking for two weeks. Uh, they're just different experiences. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, you know, how, how do I reconcile those? And I guess I'm, like, trying to reconcile it through my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the work talks about things that are culturally significant in some sense. I mean, people might not think that they're significant, uh, and they might not be, but I feel like they're I feel like they're culturally significant at some point. But ultimately, I'm I'm, I'm interested in those things and and asking questions. I don't want to I don't want to give any answers mm-hmm. to that question. Like I'm not mm-hmm. trying to give answers, yeah. but more ask questions. But when it boils down to it, the big part is like me trying to understand my connection to to western landscapes yeah and that dichotomy of loving and hating the tourism aspect of it at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i guess maybe that as the artwork it comes out as a high low question mm-hmm. uh, pop postcards on the rack versus fine art photography in the gallery right and uh so you're mixing and matching shows of postcards shows of photographs that are google googled um, and finding relevant 
true, real experience, real poetry within them, mm-hmm. even as they are as constructed as those original commodities were constructed. And right. It's pretty wild. I'm kind of curious. Um, how many submissions do you get a week? Do you get a lot of submissions? A week? Uh, that would be zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> oh, okay. I haven't gotten I haven't gotten a description in a long time. So I put I put these out and like, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe 20 people wrote me back. Okay. Uh, and then you know I've I've shown this work. So in October, this is just in Nashville, and uh, at a place called Coop Gallery. It's an awesome place. You should go there if you're ever in Nashville. It's in the arcade. <laughs> Uh, and so I made these postcards up for it that had, it was a couple images, had the name of the show, like sort of embossed, not embossed, but, um, oh, yeah. on the top. And, uh, with the postcard, the, yeah, the postcard. Right there. And then the description of the show is on the back with instructions on if you wanted to submit and then where to email. And, you know, so we had a reception and there was a lot of people. And they were all like, ah, oh, these are these are great, thank you. And I was like, yeah, you know, like you should submit. I'm deaf. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, the radio's been silent. <laughs> but hopefully, I'm hoping that one of these will, will kind of skitter through. There's a couple of postcards over there, and then we had the email on the wall over there. So yeah. anyone, please, if you got a space that you would like to see recreated, yeah. cinema, cinema line. I guess I thought when you said Facebook. I thought you meant you get like a viral. Yeah, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be great? Yeah, maybe I'll try promoting that and see what happens. Like should. nationwide promotion of like your one of your posts. That's a good idea. Not a call. Spend like thousands of dollars and get like <laughs> yeah. get like one person. Yeah. Probably be really like. It's like most lube, Facebook promotion stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's from Russia. It'd be Russia. It'd be Russia. Yeah. yeah. Have you thought of making up submissions and creating? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be lying if I said I had one of these. The, uh, the the one for Dennis Dutton didn't get sent to me. I was actually it was weirdly whoa really right after like literally right after I saw John Engelbrecht sign. Mm-hmm. I was listening to uh, a podcast, the TED Radio Hour, which they do on NPR, mm-hmm. and so I was listening to the podcast and I was listening to I think it was a podcast on beauty. And this guy started talking. I was, I literally went, holy, you know, blank. There's John Engelbrecht's thing. And then his part started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's, it was a Dennis Dutton. He was a professor of aesthetics talking about um, a landscape type that's thought of as beautiful throughout the world, even in places that don't have it. And he was describing it. I was like mm. sort of freaking out in my car, kind of yelling. Mm-hmm. That like this is perfect, probably bouncing up and down. Like mm-hmm. it was like perfect for this piece, mm-hmm. and so that one like wasn't sent to me. I just went and got the transcript and took it. Oh, and, uh, cool. Dennis Dutton actually had passed away, so I figured he'd be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Epic! Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, glad to hear the insight on the piece. Um, and there are people that have been, you know, like uh, Isaac asked me if he could just make something up. To which I was like, yeah, if you want to make something up, that's fine. Oh yeah, uh, describe the anecdote about the uh, the art project. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so my my very good friend Mark Davis um, was really excited to send me a description, and sent me this description, and it started started off by 
I don't think he understood that it was I was like landscape, even though I probably said it in the email like 50 times. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, so he sent me this description that was extremely detailed and very beautifully written in the way that Mark can do. Oh, and it started off yeah. by saying, it was something like, at the end of a hallway is a, is a rhombus. And I was like, how the, am I going to make a rhombus out of pictures from, from Google? And it ended up, I think it was like a Solowitz sculpture or something. Uh, and so, I mean, I talked to him and gave him a hard time about it. That there's no way I could do it, but... Uh, yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah. That's one of those ones that I like. Read. I try. I tried so hard to find things. <laughs> so maybe you were saying how when you're doing more traditional landscapes, how you never got close to that level of accepted quality. Sure. So maybe this was kind of the exercise. Move, actually, moving things around, creating your own landscape, maybe will bring you back to looking at a landscape in a completely different way. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I'm, I'm working again with actually taking photographs uh, <laughs> of, of the landscape. Definitely not in the vein. I think part of my resistance to the work when I was in, in undergrad was that I was looking at that, that work of like modernist people, and that stuff had just been done. Right, so like, I wasn't, you know, I might not have been with large format cameras and you know doing the zone system as well as they had, but it, it was less about like the technical aspects rather than the you know the ideas behind the work. But I, I do think working through this definitely makes me look differently at the landscape. So I go out now, and you know I almost try to organize things in my mind. And these also on the other side have become, in, in a similar way that the postcard work that I did, had become the actual places for me. So, yeah, it's interesting. It does definitely make me think differently. Yeah, I wonder, you know, Picasso's old thing about all art being a lie and how well you lie about it and tying that back to National Geographic again. I guess, I guess the question is, where do you draw the line on landscape photography? Can you completely reconstruct... A space. Can you come into a space and say, this is just raw data for me to create my photo? Mm -hmm. Or do you feel a need to be completely truthful and get it all in frame in, in the click of the shutter? I mean, how, what's your philosophy on that? Or I, definitely, that I definitely don't feel a need to be truthful, completely truthful. And I think that photography hasn't ever, it's never been completely truthful. Yeah. Uh, even though it's thought of in that way. I mean, there are manipulations from the beginning of time right. with photography. Yeah. It's just part of the game. It's just now, with digital, it's like it's available to people that don't dedicate their life to learning mm -hmm. how to do those things. So, um, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really interested in being completely truthful mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. As a painter, the way you set the stuff, you give her a look at Mark Tanzi. Uh, His allegorical and satirical paintings where he pieces a bunch of stuff together. I do I don't think so. Pull it up. I'm well, going to pull it up. Does, Go ahead. He does a lot of stuff like he'll, um, but it looks like an Arctic landscape, but he's got Eskimos meeting Arabs. Oh. Color. Yeah, no, yeah, okay, yeah, yes, yeah, I have. The cow painting yeah, the man. Right. Yeah. 
I don't. I definitely don't reference it, but I've I've definitely looked at this and, and enjoyed it. I just didn't know that it was. So it kind of gets into the same thing, yeah. notion of objectivity and, and subtext within. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we have photography class here. What's the thing with National Geographic? <laughs> How do artists see National Geographic? Uh, well, I think it differs. Yeah. Uh, I, th I don't think anybody could doubt their technical ability. I don't. I don't know. I mean, they're seen by a lot of people as the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. So whenever I meet people and they're like, what do you do? And I say, oh, you know, I teach art and then I make work and I'm like, well, what kind? And I say, I do photography and they're like, oh, National Geographic. <laughs> I say, no, you know, definitely not, not National Geographic. And that's like, it's like a standard, right? Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful photographs. But what most people don't understand is that um, a typical story is like, I think about 30 images are posted for a typical story in National Geographic. In the late 90s, this guy named Jim Brandenburg, who's from Laverne, Minnesota, which is right outside where I grew up, he was a national, he is a National Geographic photographer. He decided that he wanted to take one photograph a day for 90 days. So from the autumnal equinox to the winter solstice, he took one photograph every single day, and that was to slow down his practice. In the beginning of that book, he talks about how for an average story that has 30 page or 30, 30 photographs on the spread, uh, the average nat National Geographic photographer would take a thousand rolls of film to get 30 pictures. So, you know, that's 3,600 photographs mm -hmm. to uh, get 30 photographs. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, if, you, if anybody takes that much, they're going, and with digital, I mean, now they're digital, so like, who knows? They, 100,000 photographs that they take to get 30. And it's the idea of like shooting more and just shooting more and more and more and more and more and more and you're going to get better stuff. So it's not to say that they just hand like a camera to any yokel and give them a thousand rolls of film and they magically get 30 great images. Um, but I sort of look at that stuff as kind of what it is. I mean, it's it maybe touches into art in a way, but it's definitely derived internalism. Mm -hmm. And I look at them as photographs where I, um, damn, that's, that's a really nice photograph, but it's mm -hmm. a, it's sort of a face reading and it doesn't have the things that excite me about art, which is the ideas behind it that can challenge my ways of thinking or other people's ways of, of yeah. thinking about different subjects. They're really illustrations for right. the, the writer. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And other people might feel differently mm -hmm. and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about uh, travel and photography for you, then. How much you go out and uh, work from, from the landscape at this point. You mean while I travel? Yeah. <laughs> I, I t I'm, like, project-based mm -hmm. more. I travel, and I bring my camera with me, and I get so engrossed in where I'm at that I don't take any pictures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I have to really be, like, dedicated to doing that specific thing. So like this summer I took a trip to New York and Vermont and then I went to I went home to South Dakota after that for like a week or two weeks and I went to the Black Hills with some friends during that. I brought my camera on both of those. I maybe have two photographs I might use from, yeah, that, from yeah. like two and a half weeks of traveling. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I get caught up in, in being in the places. Mm -hmm. Um in that sense, I'm an extremely terrible photographer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but when I have like an idea, something to work for, uh, then I go out specifically 
mm-hmm. for that. You know, like these were both vacations mm-hmm. that I was going to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoy and stuff. So one, I had other people with me. I couldn't. There was a few times where I was like, "Hey, let's stop here and I'll take a couple of pictures." But uh, it's a process that I I think personally I need to get really involved in mm-hmm. and think about intently as I'm as I'm driving to the place. It's a job. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's a yeah. fun job. Yeah, it's something that's enjoyable. Yeah, to do. It's it's not a it's not a chore at all. Uh, it's just very different. And when I'm in a place to to travel there and to enjoy it, I'm uh, I'm usually more engrossed in just experiencing the place. So it's like, you know, it's like the first time is like a sketch mm-hmm. and then in some ways and then I'm with other people and I might think, I gotta go back there and get that at some point and I'll return to that place where I can be a little bit more in my own head about it and think about it as I'm, as I'm working with it. Um, it's like in a couple, in a couple of weeks I'm traveling to Las Vegas for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm not really that thrilled, but there's a photo conference out there. Hmm. I'm not. I'm thrilled about the photo conference, not about Vegas. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to drive there uh-huh. because it's very close to the uh, the Grand Canyon. I've mm-hmm. never been to the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. and I've actually. It's funny that we're talking about this because I've been a little stressed about the idea of like. I know that there's a million amazing things down in the Southwest to work with that would be great, and I'm going to bring the camera. And it's probably just gonna sit mm-hmm. <laughs> in the mm-hmm. car for the most. And I'll, I mean, I'll get it. I'll take it out. And take a couple snapshots, but they probably won't be much more than that. Be you don't have the project that's gonna guide the photography right now, right? right. And it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of have one where I'm like collecting for it, mm-hmm. but it's not as defined right now. And since I've never been to the Grand Canyon, I know I'm probably gonna be in awe of being there, and I don't want the camera to ruin that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. How would it ruin that? Is that because your process might involve a slow setup and technically oriented pursuit, or is it just the gap of point and clicking is too much to be? Yeah, it's like thing? it's like you have to shut off the awe and like the wonder of being in the space, and then become more analytical mm-hmm. about how you're going to capture it. And it could be that I could, you know, it might be a situation where I spend an hour enjoying that awe. And enjoying the space that I'm in, and then I'm able to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, yeah, I've been a little stressed about. It. I mean, not a lot. I'm not like chewing my nails about it. But mm-hmm. I've been thinking about, you know, like, well, how much time do I spend there before mm-hmm. I get up to where the conference is? And it's not like it's close. Mm-hmm. So I have big days of driving, and then, you know, and then on the other side I have to get back. Uh, so it'd be nice to have, like, in a perfect world, I'd have a month to drive there. Yeah, and then I could you know drive a little bit, camp, search through places, and you know so it's more like it's more like Oregon Trail, mm-hmm. and so without the dysentery, <laughs> um, and you know that's hopefully. yeah yeah hopefully, <laughs> uh, and that's maybe more related to like road trips as a kid, which yeah. were slow moving yeah you know yeah. it's a lot of stopping yeah uh, more than I've done since yeah um, right. And it, yeah, it gives you more time to like steep yourself in the landscape. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. You had a question on as far as like just for maybe lighting. If you see some cool lighting, or if you see a cool composition every now and then, mm-hmm. how you felt uh, that cell phones actually provide themselves for pretty good use to keep you in the moment, and, but like not take you through that process of constructing your camera and getting it all right to take you out of the moment. Yeah, I, I like cell phones for the fact that, like, ever you know, 
everybody takes cliche photographs, right? It might not be the work that I put up, but I love my phone and like I'm totally down with Instagram because that's sort of what I use it for. Like it's indulgent to me. And so I'm able to look at those things and uh, think like this is really pretty or this is beautiful light, you know, this is a pretty sunset. And then I have a place for that outlet. And it can also be a thing to use as a kind of visual sketchbook to get a place, take a photograph of it that I might think about returning to at a later point. I think, I think cell phones are, are great mm-hmm. beyond their talking capabilities. The photos, I mean, the cameras in them suck regardless of what they tell you in the <laughs> camera store. They're terrible and they're not going to make large prints. They're good if you want to put stuff online. And they can take decent pictures, but you're never you're not going to get quality, super high quality. But they're really great for being active, staying active, taking photographs, indulging yourself a little bit in things, and like selfies maybe if mm-hmm. your selfies are your thing. Like, mm-hmm. You know why not? Just do them. <laughs> like who cares what anybody else says? Yeah, the yeah. fact that people are, and the idea that you know there's like more photographers in the world now because of them, I think is thrilling. I want people to take more photos even if the majority of those photos are terrible they're creating something that wasn't there before and I think last year I think they finally estimated that the world created like 1.2 billion photographs or no trillion sorry billion is that's not that's not everything (laughs) 1.2 trillion photographs last year (laughs) yeah which is crazy in the whole world that's an insane amount of images especially when you think of in 2010 there was a statistic that was uh Every minute. So now I have no idea what it is. But in 2010, there was 500,000 photographs a minute uploaded to Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it's staggering. And I find that exciting. A lot of, I think a lot of people find it sort of frightening and, and maybe claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. But I think, it's, I think it's great that there's but- that much stuff out there. It's it's definitely capturing something of us. It's not capturing our lives. Like these no, anniversary posts on Facebook don't Hopefully, capture anything, yeah, yeah. right? But they do capture something. My digging back through what I've posted, at least for me, reminds me of reminds me of those memories, uh, those experiences in a way that I would not have probably had if I was pre cell phone. That yeah, many things I've totally forgotten about in the right. 1990s that I would probably have access to. Yeah, without, you had to you know. get a camera and load it with film, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then take it, or you get those disposable cameras yeah, that you yeah. had to take to like Walgreens, yeah. and then you get prints back. Yeah, in some ways, it's terrible that we don't have that anymore. That because there's definitely a loss of there's a loss or an impending loss in. I guess the visual culture that's going to be tremendous mm-hmm. because digital photographs aren't going to stick around. Yeah. But I, none of us are going to be alive to feel that. So who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but somebody else's thing somebody to worry about. Issue. They're, yeah. they're here now. It's pretty great. Yeah. What do you think about Polaroid cameras? Uh, Polaroid? I think great. I think it's awesome. I always kind of like Polaroids. I mean, they're like they're expensive. The film's kind of expensive. It always has been. I don't know what it's like now. Um, I remember, like, you buy, what, a pack of 10 for 16 or $17, like mm-hmm. in the 90s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an expensive photograph. Yeah. Um, now it seems like that's there's nothing to think about. And the quality is not great, you know, but they're, 
they're these like instant things that we have and they they give us an artifact and so in the terms of digital work the idea that we can take a polaroid camera and instantly have an artifact i think brings back those those ideas of the print and getting prints made and i don't know it's nice to have something that you make in a lot of ways whether you know even though it's just chemicals and stuff plus like the old polaroid film like pull apart i used a lot of that like four by five stuff you could you could do cool things with it. you could chop the end yeah. off and then pull it out and put the chemicals on paper and do yeah. nice polaroid transfers and so there's a lot of possibilities of uh, messing with those beyond just their regular images. Yeah, yeah. Do you like Polaroids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got two of them. I mean, how could you not, right? <laughs> they're, they're even in an outcast song. Yeah. Um, I have a bunch more questions, but I'm going to cut it because we got to go. <laughs> so uh, thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This has been Q&A recorded in the Cadditch Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Cadditch and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Gavin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gaines Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University, copyright 2017, and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.